0: You're listening to The Bible Guys Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Ferguson, along with Professors Jerry Hullinger and Rick Kleiner. The Bible Guys is a podcast focused on knowing God better through what He has written. You can find out more by following us on Twitter at BibleGuysPod and on Instagram. You can also contact us via email at BibleGuysPodcast at gmail.com. Welcome, guys. Uh... Have another week here. We're excited. We're talking about. We actually got two questions from uh, from two listeners that we're going to discuss today. Um, But before we do that, I just wanted to go over a couple of things. A little bit of housekeeping um, for our listeners. First off, uh, we are planning on creating a Facebook page. So we have a Facebook page. Look us up, the Bible Guys. Um, We're going to be posting um, more content there. Uh, We're going to be putting up some of our actual recordings from the video from our um, zoom meetings. Um, So we're going to put those on YouTube and, and push those on Facebook. So follow us there. So you can, you can see us um, and and keep up with, with everything Bible guys there. Also, we wanted to let you guys know, some of you have already seen from our Instagram and our Twitter that we have merch. So that's pretty cool. You can have Dr. Hollinger's and uh, Rick's face on your, your shirts, on your mugs, on your stickers, everything that you can think of. Uh even socks I saw. So um, you know my, da- my daughter wants the socks. She already saw the this uh
1: the merchandise store. She says, I want the socks and some stickers. I'm like, honey, that's Christmas. So you
0: just <laughs> whole Kleiner of family is just getting Bible guys stuff. It's gonna be awesome. And, and you know what? If if you're trying to stay safe out there, um in in the world, we even have face masks with the Bible guys on there. So Get a Bible guy's face mask. Stay safe from the coronavirus. Um, yeah, and before we, before we get a little further,
1: what's one thing in the in the store? All like, if you could pick one thing out of the store to get, what would you get? I w- I'm going for the mug
0: because I want one of the coffee mugs. See, that was mine. Yeah, like a mug, maybe a travel mug or something like that. Okay, I think that's my favorite. All right, how about you, Jerry? I might go for the notebook.
1: Yeah. There you go. That's going to look really intimidating when students come to your class this semester with the Bible Guys notebook. That's exactly right. Yeah, that'll be great. They're gonna there's a there's gonna be quite a quite a fan base there. I think that'll be fun. Um, see,
0: uh, we need like a. What else do we need? Oh yeah, so that's another thing. If you can think of something and you're like, wow, you're missing this. We we would love this type of article of clothing or something like that. Let us know. Send us a. A message on Instagram, send us a message on Facebook or, or Twitter. Uh, email us at Bi- the Bible Guys Podcast or sorry, Bible Guys Podcast at gmail.com. We always read those. So anyway, I think that's it for housekeeping. Uh, if you guys are ready, we're gonna start with the first question. This is what it says: It says, "Hi guys, what does it mean that God is our Abba Father? Does it mean He is our Daddy?"
1: Oh, well, that's actually uh, fun. So let's get started because we've all had this uh, interaction before where with people that love to pronounce things correctly, um, you know, we've all done the Karl Barth, Karl Bart, uh, is it Augustine or Augustine? Uh, so the question is, is it Abba or Abba? Um, and so we want to kind of get that straightened out. Um, you know, so Jerry, if you want to add into that, uh, you're the linguist, uh, Actually, Devin, you're the linguist of this group, I think. Am I? Okay. I mean... I gonna call you the linguist. You're the... Yeah, Devin's a linguist. Yeah. So we
2: basically have three options. Yeah. ABBA, right. which you, you associated with the Swedish rock group. Right. <laughs> which I always loved. I loved ABBA. Um, and then ABBA. And then, Devin, you found another pronunciation today, I think. I did, yeah. Abba. And the source of that is
1: Lagos. Yeah. <laughs> so we gotta go with Abba. And it actually is Abba because of the accent we found. And uh, again, right this, this was done by looking at Lagos and listening to it because you know we're those guys.
2: Yeah. We'll go we'll go with Abba then. Sure. And it's an interesting question. I don't mean this about the the person that uh, gave the question, but the question itself is really revolting to me because just this idea that you call god daddy i mean everything within me just revolts against that whole idea so i'm going into this hoping that that's wrong and of course we've looked at this before and we know that it is wrong but it it really goes back to uh, in the early 70s a german scholar uh, joachim uh, jeremias and he published a book in which he dealt with the term abba and he he never said that it's translated daddy he actually just said something like it's it can refer to the chatter of a small child and so from that people began to use the implication that we can now call god daddy and there were actually books and articles published after jeremiah's that really took him to task on this and he ended up changing
1: uh kind of changing what he had written a little bit but that's kind of the origin of the whole thing and i think that's an interesting point is is it, it kind of falls in the line of those things that um make for a good preaching hook yes like, like the romans passage about the, the the gospel is the power the the dunamis of God. That's where we get the word dynamite. It's explosive and it's all spread. And it's it's that's that's a good preaching hook, but it's not textually accurate. Um and I, I'm agreeing, I agree with you, Jerry, although I didn't do the reading on um what was the gentleman's name again? Jeremiah. Yes. Jeremiah. Um, but that I have in other studies looking at it, yeah, I don't think you can in good conscience say, yeah, this means daddy, so you can call God dad or papa. I've heard some people right. say that. Um, but that term in the Aramaic is a term of endearment that a child would use for their father, but that doesn't necessarily mean daddy. So I think there's where the correlation is. It's like, okay, whatever you called your dad, that's what you can call God. Um, I call my dad pop. Yeah. But I've never addressed God that way. Um, it's it's showing relationship more than it's showing, um, the, the, I guess you say the. I'm going to say the. I'll use the word slang of it.
2: Yeah, when uh, James Barrow was responding to this whole concept, he pointed out that, yes, a child would call his father Abba, but the grown children would use the same term. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't something that was relegated to small children. And then I think it's interesting, when you look in the New Testament, Abba only occurs three times, yeah. and it's always followed by the Greek word pater for father so you always have the aramaic term and the greek term and i've always felt that the concept was basically showing the um, i think you may have just used the word intimacy or dear the nearness with god but the new testament will make it clear even though we have an intimacy with god we also need to remember his transcendence and so we don't want to just kind of saunter into god's presence and start calling him daddy, which is not the sense of the term at all.
1: And I think there's some places in the text that kind of show why he uses the two together. Uh, like in the Romans passage, he's about to set up, um, you know, Romans nine, I think it's an, like we mentioned earlier, 815 when he uses it. And in nine, 10, 11, he's about, he's a, he's getting ready to talk about God's dealing with Israel and how he, he elected them for his people they are in a present rejection and then they will soon be, you know, and when Christ returns in the kingdom, like as we spoke on last episode, um, he'll, he'll bring Israel to salvation and he's, he's setting that up. So he has the Aramaic construction and the Greek construction together, almost as if to say that, Hey, both, both Jews and Gentiles can have this equal access um, to, to God, Abba father. Um, And I think, help me out with it. He also uses it in Galatians and what's the Galatians and also in Mark 14, where Jesus says it. Yeah.
2: And so, So, Rick, I was going to say, you're really showing your age because that interpretation goes back to Augustine. Speaking of Augustine and Augustine, Augustine, Augustine we know is correct. Uh, But I believe that that goes all the way back to Augustine. And so that's a very, um, you know, that's a very throughout church history, a very venerable view that he's trying to bring in, you know, unity in the body of Christ.
1: I did not know that about Augustine, but thank you for making me sound really a lot smarter than I really was at that time. I
2: appreciate it. Well, you know, another thing that's interesting, right before we came on, I, I was looking through of all things, the, um, uh, the Talmud and, uh, I was only able to find one instance where Abba is used to address God in the entire Talmud. And the thing that was interesting is there's a story about evidently there was some drought in the area, and some small children went to ask their rabbi, and they called him Abba, Abba, father, father. Um, you know, we need rain. And so the rabbi then prayed to God, and he used the word Abba, addressing God, but he also referred to him as sovereign of the world, and I think that's the point. It is a term that was used, yes, by children, but it was also used by adults in addressing God Mm -hmm. to stress his reverence for him and his sovereignty over the world. So I think it's inappropriate for us to call God daddy. I think that shows a very shallow theology and
1: just a misunderstanding of what our relationship to God should be. And I think there I think we do keep in mind have to keep in mind of of that place that we are, we can call God father, but that in itself is the scandalous part. Mm-hmm. That yes. We, that yes. we shouldn't be um I don't know, maybe it's because we got comfortable with that phrase. We use it all the time. And so this New idea of calling God daddy, maybe even, you know, it's like, oh, that's better. Um, but, but really, we need to keep in mind that when we're addressing God as our father, that is itself scandalous because the Jewish people would have never earlier on um, called uh, God their father. Matter of fact, when Jesus calls God uh, his father, the Jews take up stones to kill him because of a blasphemous statement. Um, because to consider, I think the statement is because it said, because to call God his father meant to be, he was considering himself co-equal. Um, and so we got to keep that in mind, too, that just using Father when we're call, addressing God is itself uh, a, a scandal. I like to use this. I think D. A. Carson came up with it, a scandal of grace that we, we get to enjoy because of our, our position in Christ.
2: Yeah, and no doubt that would have shocked the apostles because you know, as you correctly say, that was not the way that that Jews would address God. But I think the key with what we've said is maintaining that tension that we are God's children and we do have an intimacy with him and he is affectionate for us. But then you also have that side that we also fear him as well. And I think that always comes nicely together in the Lord's Prayer when Jesus says to address God is our Father, there though he uses Pater, Mm -hmm. our Father who is in heaven is transcendent. So we always have to keep that tension together and really not err on one side or the other because some people maybe who have had a really, really strict upbringing, they could never bring themselves to have some kind of intimacy with God. So
1: really the challenge is to see both of them together when we approach God so i think if we're landing our plane we're saying that the the abba father together our abba father together is 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 keeping the tension together of god's imminence in the sense that he's he's present he's 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 able to have access as the scriptures new testament teaches us but that he is transcendent so an imminent transcendence the tension yeah. between the two is is really kind of voiced in that interplay between abba and father right so the the final bullet point would be drop the daddy terminology. Is that our title? I think that's our title. (laughs) That That would be the
2: the takeaway point.
1: (laughs) Drop the daddy, a a discussion on Abba. That's good. Okay. Well, uh, our next question comes, uh, as it's kind of in a nowhere near this discussion. So it's kind of, kind of fun, but again, it's theological. So it's a good conversation to have, um, Mm -hmm. about what is our take on, what is commonly called the Prosperity Gospel Movement. We've talked a little bit about the Word of Faith Movement in a previous episode, um, but the question is really about this. Um, so we, while we may not land theologically on every point or the, many of the points of the Prosperity Gospel Movement, what's so bad about it if they're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, of our need for salvation through faith in Christ, is it really that bad? What's what's the big deal? Why why should we? Maybe maybe they don't haven't had us in a class or listened to us. Sh- why should we at all get upset about this?
2: Well, I think there are a couple reasons. Let me start with the first one. I would not doubt that God may graciously use them to bring people to faith in Christ. So, I'm not denying that couldn't happen. However, I do question whether they are actually preaching the pure gospel. They have major issues with Trinitarian doctrine. And really, that's the heart of Christianity. If you go awry when it comes to any aspect of Trinitarian doctrine, you are on the fast path to being a heretical movement. So on at that level, I would say, well, you know, somebody could become a Christian through a lot of different denominations or religious sects. I mean, that's possible, but I even have a question at the fundamental point on on some of their key theological issues. And, and you mentioned a previous podcast, we haven't released it yet, but one that we recorded on, um, I don't remember what, what the topic was, but I think Joyce, Joyce Myers came, came up on that podcast and, We're talking about, you know, finishing the atonement in hell and and Jesus being born again and all of these issues with what the image of God is. So, you know, we're dealing with some very serious things here. So, yeah, while some gospel might come through, uh, we need to be aware that that is not always the case. And I think the longer this goes on, the less gospel will actually come through.
1: Yeah. Before we go a little further, because I would like to get into those. Let's talk about a few key ideas, key theological ideas that that maybe our listeners wouldn't be aware of. Some listeners would be, um, but some may just, you know, may just not. So, um, but before we do that, I would agree with what you said, how your, you, your statement was that, that the Trinity is a key. Um, and I, we're not saying that you have to understand the Trinity uh, in order to be uh, a Christian or anything like that. But we're saying, I think what we're saying is, you can't be a Trinity denier uh, yeah. and, and be a believer. There's two different statements there. It's there's or, it. or misunderstand or misunderstand the nature of each member of the Trinity. Right. And so there, I think there's the key that we have to keep in mind of what we're saying versus what we're not saying. Because um, some people may hear that and hear what we're saying and go, oh, because... Wait, wait, we got to go down the line on everything you guys believe doctrinally? Well, that's not what we're saying. Um, but that there are some real big key um, issues that come up that uh, on First Blood, if you're not listening regularly or maybe even reading the resources they put out, you won't get it uh, because they can do like we do. We can edit a podcast and sound better than we really did. Um, you can edit a TV blurb or, or something, so that you don't say something that may be taken as scandalous.
2: Could I make one other general point before we get to some specifics about the prosperity gospel? And that is apart from, you know, those kind of doctrinal things, and I know there are more than that, but I'm also concerned that, I mean, let's just assume for sake of argument, okay, they do preach the gospel. It's very easy for people to become derailed in their Christian lives if the wrong kinds of things are being emphasized. Uh, In fact, if not even the wrong things, but even if the right things are being overemphasized. So I think there are a lot of matters where it just takes people off into a tangent that I really think ultimately is going to destroy their Christian life. And so that's just kind of general point, but that has the effect on a lot of people and it really removes them from what they should be doing in the Christian life as they're expecting things that God never promised.
0: Yeah. I, I, you know, for me, I think that it really comes down to people, people in the prosperity gospel movement are there for a totally different reason. So it's really not that they're there for for God or for Jesus or for, for Christ in a lot of instances, especially ones that are very, very materialistic, but it is for, you know, the new car. It is for the new, you know, the, the high paying job and things like that. Um, my parents for a while were actually involved in a health, wealth and prosperity gospel church. Uh, and so um, a lot of the practices of like, um, speaking in tongues, having your own prayer language. Um, you know, some of these ideas were really, really big and it was all, you, I mean, from, from the forefront, it was all because I want this type of material thing. Uh, God, if I'm, if I do this for God, God will repay me by giving me this thing. So that whole sort of philosoph- philosophical foundation is is really contrary to the gospel mm-hmm. yeah, yeah
1: and i would agree with that and and also let me just point this too sometimes we don't have to as christians be a part of what we would call a prosperity gospel movement um but we still kind of buy into it yeah i gonna call it the christian karma um the idea that if we don't do this um, God may do this. Like I've described it. There's a whole series of articles I wrote on. I called it, um, the bad tastes. It was like the idea to get some, I get a taste of something in your mouth. Like if you've ever eaten something, um, that was sour, like if you, if you, but for example, for example, I was eating some cereal one time as a kid, I'd gotten the milk from, I was at school and I'd gotten the milk out of the freezer or the fridge and it was spoiled. And so for a couple weeks, I just couldn't get that. Anytime I milk, I was like, nah, I'm good. Cause yeah. it was a bad taste that led me as a, to an aversion to it. So I think we also sometimes have these and one of those bad tastes of God we often have, I've called him the, the bookie God, you know, the, the idea that if you don't do this for God, he's going to break your thumbs. Um, he's going to punish. He's He's just going to do that. Like if, if God, if there are people going out to witness this week, and you don't go, then you're going to get sick. don't give then god's gonna my my, a dear friend of mine i was having a conversation with him one time and they said well i give to the church because god's gonna get his money somehow and so i pushed on that a little bit i said well what do you mean he goes well if i don't give my tithe or my offering to the church my wife might get sick and then that money goes towards the doctors and i thought well is god's not getting your money blue cross is getting your money that's that's totally that's totally different. And we had a conversation about that the God sometimes we see can be, or we think we see is that that booky God. He's ready to break my thumbs if I don't do something good for him. Or like you just said, if I do this for him, he'll reward me. Um, I'll, I'll do so that I may get. That in an essence is, for lack of a better term, that a prosperity theology that sometimes is more easily digested, you know, I guess in our circles.
0: Wow. Anywhere else. Yeah. I agree. It's almost like prosperity gospel proper and then prosperity, it's it's the se- it's on the same plane, but yeah. diet once- prosperity gospel. That's where we are at diet yeah. like
1: prosperity gospel light is where we kind of land it. Exactly. No, I you know,
2: might surprise people to hear this, but the prosper prosperity theology is actually taught in the Bible.
1: Yeah, explain and, that for us.
2: And um if you go to the um, the Mosaic Law in the Old Testament. God was very clear with the nation of Israel that if they walked in obedience to him, he would make them rich. He would make them healthy. But then if they disobeyed him, he was going to nail them. And and Moses lays out the degrees to which this thing is going to go. And so in the Bible, it does teach prosperity theology. And this is why one reason a lot of these teachers will rely heavily on the old testament text so we are not denying you can find those passages in the bible the problem is that represents the the way god was working in a covenant relationship with the nation of israel he is no longer working that way with the nation of israel or with anybody because the new testament makes a claim that the law
1: has come to an end and so uh, we need to be careful can I get are in here? Drawing this stuff from. There's, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'm already thinking the devil's advocate question that I know okay. you won't answer. But does, doesn't the Bible say that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever? So how? And, and of course, you know where I'm at. I just I'm setting you up. I'm putting the ball on the tee for you right now, Jerry. <laughs> um, for so, but so how would I? Doesn't the Bible say? Aren't you saying that Jesus or God changes?
2: That, that's really nice of you to give me that, that kind of question, because I know you would be itching to answer it as well. Um, you cited Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's a difference between, and I'll just use some theological terms here. There's a difference between ontological immutability and functional immutability. When it comes to God's nature, of course, he never changes. However, God does change the way in which he works throughout history. And I think that's a case in point here. So, yes, God is the same. Jesus is the same as they've always been. But God is working in a different way than he used to. And that's why if you took anybody who denied that to the Old Testament, they would start cutting out all kinds of things that they no longer do or that God no longer does. So I think that would be the distinction. So, thank you for that.
1: Well, thanks for letting me cut in there. And I think personally that that's something that we need to recognize because I'm a dad, and and so if a my if my kids may come to me them yesterday, like for example, we're we're under this, you know, we're under state home orders, and um, for my kids, for them, every day is a Friday night. You know, they they think every all bets are off. I'm like, nah, buddy, you you start school tomorrow and things like that. But we have a family movie night we have during the week, and they're thinking, we got to do movies every night because we're at home. We don't have to get up to it. Like, well, we're still not going to do that. So Monday night is game night. It's, it's family game night, so, so we do that. But on Tuesdays, they can choose to watch a movie. We can pick a movie as a family movie night. Now, I say, I say yes to a movie on Tuesday, but I'll say no to it on Monday because it's family game night. I'm not my, – if my kid goes to me and says, Daddy, yesterday you said yes. Well, that was yesterday. I'm saying something to I'm not changing who I am, but this, the situation, in a sense, has changed. And I think that is something we don't understand when it comes to interpreting those passages in the Old Testament. God's not changing, um, but situations, if you want to use that for lack of a better term, are different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why he is, like you said, he's not functionally, uh, or he's, he's ontologically immutable, but functionally right now, for a specific purpose, that promise God made to Abraham and his ancestors doesn't necessarily doesn't apply. I won't say necessarily doesn't apply of my desire to have a new car. Uh, right. So yeah. So and go ahead.
2: and uh, we're not taking prosperity off the table either, because last week we talked about the kingdom, and in the future kingdom there will be health. And there will be wealth. And there will be all of these things in the kingdom. But but that waits a future age. There will be healing. There is healing in the atonement. But it's just not realized now. Uh, it will be realized later when we have the redemption of our bodies. So those things are still going to come our way. It's just now God is not um, dealing in that matter. And I think, Devin, you brought up a really good point. That... Um, a lot of the hook that brings people in is of course we all want that kind of stuff. And that's why these movements are so large, but I would ask the question, you know, how's that working in third world countries
0: hmm.
2: where the majority of Christians probably are, um, you know, that doesn't play very well. And it also doesn't play very well, even in our country now as people are losing their jobs and losing a lot of their money trying to, to cover things. So it's just, it's not only not a biblical position, it's an illogical position, and it really
1: denies reality, in my opinion. And I want to add to it that it's an, an ahistorical uh, idea, because the history of the church, I mean, to to think that the, go- the this prosperity gospel movement is something that's, uh, that was part of Jesus' original plan well, the disciples really failed at it because they all yeah. died martyrs' deaths. Hmm. Um, the founder of our faith suffered, you know, an illegal trial um, and death. And so you just don't see that backed up with history. Where you see it become prevalent is in the, you know, the late 19th and twenty early 20th century when it starts kind of peaking up. And so the question becomes, all right, so was two, almost 2,000 years of church history missing what now you have. Um, and there's just danger behind that. I think there's also personally, I, and I think it's because I, I, I was talking to somebody about it yesterday. Um, I think a lot of my trouble with this is my, me coming to faith later in life. Um, I, was a, I was surrounded by Christians um, to the point when I, was, when I was 21 when I came to faith in Christ. I was surrounded by Christians. I I knew enough about the gospel to know that if I was truly going to believe in Jesus, I had to be a disciple. I had to follow him. Uh, that means, um, you know, like what he said, you're taking up your cross, denying him. You're, you're dying the pleasures of your life. And I was enjoying the pleasures of my life. I didn't want to let him go. So I knew enough about the faith to stay away from Jesus. Um, and so when I would see this on television, I was like, that's not what Jesus taught because these guys seem to be enjoying life, and Jesus' words were, you got to deny yourself. And that's not what I see happening with these fellows. Um, that's a great observation, great historical observation, because,
2: uh, you know, you could just go through a litany of church history and, and and look at the greatest men and women God has used throughout history. And this wasn't true of any of them. And when I read the gospel, I like your points about discipleship. It's almost when Jesus interacted with people. It's almost as if he was trying
1: to get them not to follow him. He does in that in this in the scene that gets me, and that's what we were talking about last week a little bit. Well, before we you know between the, these two episodes, um, there was the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Um, if you if you just read the red words and forget the black words of context, you miss something. He starts the parable. He goes, Jesus told this parable to those who trust to the Pharisees who trusted in their riches because the pharisaical mindset was a sign of God's favor on them was their material wealth. Mm -hmm. Um, and if God, if God was pleased with them, that meant they would have fine. So for example, if they were financially sound, God must be favoring them. So they must be okay. But if they were poor, God, something's wrong. And that's come out of the mouth of people I've seen on TV recently saying these things. But Jesus told him the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, yes, there's theology about, you know, what happens after a believer dies and a non-believer dies. But the point of that parable was to show rich people go to hell. Um, exactly and right. That's not a sign of their uh, – wealth is not a sign of favor of God. Um, and so that's a – to me, that's the striking one. It's that, okay, so when people say, Rick, why are you why, – why do you get bent out of shape about these guys? Because Jesus was? And yeah. I kind of st- I try to stick with him as close as I can. Um, <laughs> if he if he was upset about it, I need to be. I don't need to just go. Uh, it's okay. No, he called it out, and I think we should too.
2: That is so good because that is a parable about money, mm-hmm. and um, and the whole discipleship thing. You know, in this life, you're not going to get anything out of it. Yeah. So so I think that that is really good. And and this kind of goes to my earlier point the danger of this movement as people get involved in it those are the things they're going to chase and as they chase those things they're they're not only wasting their christian life but then they're not able to lay up treasure in heaven it's like hey if you really want treasure don't do this um because treasure in the next life comes through denying yourself you know taking the hard path taking the difficult path um now God may graciously choose to make you rich. Wonderful. But that's not what we need to be pursuing, you know, the health and wealth and being demon-free and all these other kinds of things. So I think it really misleads people to their Christian life. And by the time they get to the end of the road, they're either so put out with God because he didn't deliver on anything, and a lot of times they just become disgruntled
1: And it's like, yeah, this wasn't what it was cracked up to be that I thought. And I would also add that there is, and you you alluded to it there, the other side of that would be what we might even call poverty theology, that, okay, well, God's blessing me. The reason why, I, you know, is the idea that, okay, because I'm poor, at least God, you know, I know that God's with me. Well, if God blesses you, then let it be a blessing. Use that blessing to be a blessing. It's, it's not that wealth in themse- in itself is evil. Jesus said that exactly. it's that love of that pursuit of, um, that, that what we find in scripture. And, um, so I don't think it becomes, it's not like, so some, so many times we can be, if we're not careful, we can play the seesaw game and go okay, no prosperity gospel. Let's go over here. No, that's, that's not, that's not it either. Um, and so, yeah, we're not
2: suggesting a monastery right.
1: lifestyle. Right. Um, and then you know you
2: you intimated the uh, Galatians six passage. Of course, that's one of the most misquoted verses in all of the Bible. <laughs> you know, money is the root of all evil. No, it's the love of it. Yeah, which is exactly what you've been been indicating
1: with the uh, Luke's, Luke Luke parable. Right, Devin. This is not to do the prosperity gospel, but we 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 should put on the in the merchandise store that that T-shirt picture I sent you this week. Yes. Uh, I, I can do all things through Christ when I take a verse out of context or something like that. Um, uh, I saw that just kind of remind me of what Jerry was saying. Um, I think that what we're trying to land on here, I would say is that the dangers of it are first of all, theologically um, because they paint a picture of God as, as he is not revealing himself in scripture, Mm -hmm. which is dangerous every time. There's also the problem with it. I would go, practically and historically that just to say that this stuff just basically came on the scene within the last few hundred years um less than 200 that's dangerous uh, ground to go i'm gonna put everything i'm gonna put all my eggs in that basket and go it must be right um and then i would also throw in here um the lifestyle of those in prominent positions in that movement. And again, I know that there are people in our camps who have shipwrecked due to moral failure or what have you. Um, but you see it in that pursuit of this. If you're if you're if you're not denying yourself and not pursuing Christ, you're pursuing something. We're we're never stagnant. We're we either pursuing Christ or something else.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so so that's why it's across the board. But in a in a whole viewpoint that is about Wealth and pursuing wealth as a sign of God's favor, um, you're you're more likely to begin pursuing in the other direction than you are Christ. If is that if that makes sense what I'm saying? It, it seems like it's more tailor made to a alternative right. to Christ pursuit.
2: And that's why the movement's so successful. I mean, it feeds what people in their deepest depravity really want, right. and it it goes against our senses to pursue godliness. That's hard. And that's not very sensational and flashy, but this other side really is. So I think you've summarized nicely our three problems with it, theological, historical, and practical. Mm -hmm. So I think those are big dangers of this movement, and I would run away
1: from it.
0: Well, thanks, guys, for the conversation. That was excellent. you know, if, if you're one of our listeners, if you're out there, uh, we hope that you enjoyed this. If you have any other questions about this topic or if you have any, any other questions about the Bible, please please email us at BibleGuysPodcast at gmail.com. Send us a message on Instagram or Twitter or even Facebook. Um, you can find us there at BibleGuysPod. Uh, if, if you have someone that's involved in the prosperity gospel, you know, I, I don't think we would suggest you to just you know, send this link of this, this podcast to that, to that individual, you know, probably listen to this, find some other resources, think this through, make it your own and go to them in love. Um, so yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it. Thanks, Kevin.